Hello, active and inactive listeners. You monarchs here to behold this swelling scene. I'm Waddle, and this is my colleague and artist in arms, Dobbins. Hello. Today, we're back with the thrilling conclusion of Big Mac tomorrow. And an interview with Malcolm. And your bestie. That's not a term I would ever use to define anyone. But he is one of my very best friends, Jasper Kane. This week's arts calendar has some wonderful and joyful surprises. First off, Dob, if you will recall, last week you insulted my home unincorporated area by inferring that Romans are prone to hallucinations. That's not exactly. And yet, today, you will be wiping egg off your face, as it has now been announced that Claude Perkowski, the consummate artist with or without a studio, has been engaged in a site-specific art piece called Tree Sun, which will be open for an immersive viewing this weekend. The piece required the relocation of a portion of the Tarpeian wood outside of Rome to an area behind Valmont's Goats and Blooms, where Perkowski has arranged them in what he calls dynamic and powerful vectors and intersection where botany, sky, and feeling collide. So, what do you have to say now, Dob? I don't no, it's a lot. Um, you know I don't like you springing these on me without reviewing them before the show. He moved trees? Art can move mountains. Rounding out this week's calendar, uh, at midnight tonight, the Seventh Sense Storytellers Guild will again be meeting, guided by Lucretia Page. As always, the meeting will take place telepathically, but rather than telling stories, tonight the participants are asked to join Lucretia in shutting the doors that the Scottish play has opened and ostensibly shooing the something wicked out. Wise move. You can never be too careful. And finally, if you've got a set of pipes, Rome's Rogers and Hammerstein Society is holding auditions next Wednesday to round out their roster. They are currently seeking two baritones and a soprano. So get out there, you songbirds, and show them what you got. So we're at the end of our Scottish journey. What are your takeaways, Waddle? If you'd asked me that at the beginning, Dob, I'd probably have said that the takeaway is about the dangers of ambition, the perils of meddling in supernatural affairs, of which you know nothing. But now that we're here, I've started to reflect on different things. You? At the end of the day, Macbeth is, like all tragedies, about personal responsibilities. You said the name, Dob. I thought I'd finally gotten through to you on that. I don't like to spoil the fun and shared community of adhering to the ridiculous rules of the supposed curse, but we're at the end, and surely that requires a sober and serious look at... No, absolutely not. I hate the serious and sober. This is a play about ghosts and witches. Ooh. 
The play Melville derided is appealing to the great unwashed with its blood and daggers, and a sober and serious take just makes me sad. The tragedies are supposed to make you sad, and this one in particular maybe makes you in particular sad because it is in part about what happens when you let the unworthy assume a position of authority instead of opposing them. No, Tob. It's about how all of us can be corrupted by power and how ambition can be our unraveling. That is a convenient meaning for you. Besides, I thought you said you were looking at new things. I am. I think we like to cast the tragedies as political because somehow it is easier to look at the dissolution of a state than it is to confront the fact that these kings are not pawns on a chessboard, they're people. This is a tragedy about how families are destroyed by ambition and the interest in the state over the interest in the hearth. Malcolm loses a father, Fleance loses a father, Seward loses a son, Macduff loses a whole family. But when we get to the end of the play and Scotland is saved, we toss our hats in the air and shout hooray. But those losses stay undone. So when you consider that human cost, you don't think that Lennox, Banquo, Ross, and on and on had an obligation to stand up to Macbeth immediately and not wait until they had to go to England and bring back an army? I mean, obviously, but they don't because they all think they could be the next Mackers. It's ambition that stops them. I think it's cowardice. But if they were all noble, we wouldn't have a story, would we? You're not wrong. Okay, so we're getting ready to end this one. The thrilling conclusion is about to begin in a few moments. And then, of course, we will return for what Arden Radio Theater will do next. Uh, now, I've got the most recent odds from Wink Tittle. He'll be accepting bets up until the end of tonight's installment. So call it in now. I know you don't want to hear it, Waddle, but the odds are currently 5-1 to one that you direct the next show, and Lear is running 3-2. to two. Obviously, we won't be doing Lear. Two tragedies back to back in this economy? That's a no. And what about you? Are you finally going to take the reins? I can neither deny nor confirm that at this time. That's a change in tone. Maybe I've been listening to you more than you think. Well, you heard it here, folks. And I'm sure Wink has changed his odds accordingly. Who else does he have on the board, Waddle? Let's see. It looks like Barry is a long shot at one to six. And Olivia Monk is on the board at two to seven. Let's all hope it's Olivia between those two. For shows, Lear is currently the favorite, Dark Horse Pericles at two and seven, and a respectable showing from a history with Richard III coming in at four and nine. What's your pick? Well, obviously, because of our involvement with the Horned Moon, you and I cannot place any actual bets. But if I could, my money would be on Pericles. Your money's always on Pericles. Everyone's Despite... money should always be on Pericles. You're not wrong. <laughs> Despite your reluctance, I'm supporting Wadalier this year. And now, the thrilling conclusion of ART's Macbeth tomorrow. Arden Radio Theater presents Macbeth, Part 7, Tomorrow. In the dead of night at Dunsinane, fringes of purple cloud caress the moon. The ravens speak, the owls sweep past on silent wing. 
Things dark and urgent passed back and forth along the corridors. A doctor and one of the queen's gentlewomen whispered together. I have two nights watched with you, but can perceive no truth in your report. When was it she last walked? Since his majesty went into the field, I have seen her rise from her bed, throw her nightgown upon her, unlock her closet, take forth paper, fold it, write upon it, read it, afterwards seal it, and again return to bed, yet all this while in a most fast sleep. In this slumbery agitation, besides her walking and other actual performances, what, at any time, have you heard her say? That, sir, which I will not report after her. You may to me, and his most meet you should. Neither to you nor anyone, having no witness to confirm my speech. A flickering light throws the long shadow of a woman upon the wall. In its footsteps comes the queen, holding a taper before her, though her eyes seem not to see. Lo you, here she comes. This is her very guise, and upon my life fast asleep. Observe her, stand close. You see her eyes are open. Aye, but their scents are shut. What is it she does now? Look how she rubs her hands. It is an accustomed action with her, to seem thus washing her hands. I have known her continue in this a quarter of an hour. Yet, here's a spot. Hark, she speaks. I will set down what comes from her to satisfy my remembrance the more strongly. Out, damned spot. Out, I say. One, two. Why then, tis time to doot. Hell is murky. Fie, my lord, fie, a soldier and a feared. What need we fear who knows it when none can call our power to account? Yet who would have thought the old man to have had so much blood in him? Do you mark that? The Thane of Fife had a wife. Where is she now? What will these hands ne'er be clean? No more of that, my lord, no more of that. You'll mar all with this starting. Go to. Go to, you have known what you should not. She has spoke what she should not, I am sure of that. Heaven knows what she has known. Here's the smell of the blood still. All the perfumes of Arabia will not sweeten this little hand. Oh... Oh, oh. What a sigh is there. The heart is sorely charged. I would not have such a heart in my bosom for the dignity of the whole body. This disease is beyond my practice. Yet I have known those which have walked in their sleep who have died holily in their beds. Wash your hands, put on your nightgown, look not so pale. I tell you yet again... Banquo's buried. He cannot come out on's grave. Even so. To bed. To bed. There's knocking at the gate. Come, 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 come. Give me your hand. What's done cannot be undone. To bed. To bed. To bed. The queen moves on and leaves the doctor and gentlewoman alone again. Will she go now to bed? Directly. Foul whisperings are abroad. Unnatural deeds do breed unnatural troubles. 
infected minds to their deaf pillows will discharge their secrets. More needs she the divine than the physician. God, God, forgive us all. Look after her, remove from her the means of all annoyance, and still keep eyes upon her. So good night. My mind, she has made it, and amazed my sight. I think, but Good night, good doctor. Now does Macbeth feel his secret murder sticking on his hands. Now he feels his title hang loose about him like a giant's robe on a dwarfish thief. Great Dantanane he strongly fortifies, for the English power is near, led on by Malcolm, his uncle Seward, and the good Macduff. Revenges burn in them. Those thanes of Scotland that can no longer endure Macbeth's tyranny, good Lennox, grim Angus, brave Caithness and Menteith, desert Dunsinane. Macbeth sits alone on his throne in an empty court. Bring me no more reports. Let them fly all. Till Burnham would remove to Dunsinane, I cannot taint with fear. What's the boy, Malcolm? Was he not born of woman? The spirits that know all mortal consequences have pronounced me thus. Fear not, Macbeth, no man that's born of woman shall e'er have power upon thee. Then fly, false thanes, and mingle with the English epicures. The mind I sway by and the heart I bear shall never sag with doubt nor shake with fear. The devil damn thee twice, thou cream-faced loon. Where gotst thou that goose look? There is ten thousand. Geese, villain? Soldiers, sir. Go prick thy face and overread thy fear, thou lily-livered boy. What soldiers patch? Death by thy soul, those linen cheeks of thine are counselors to fear. What soldiers wayface? The English force. So please you. Take thy face hence. Satan! I am sick at heart when I behold Satan, I say! This push will cheer me ever or deceit me now. I've lived long enough. My way of life is fallen into the seer, the yellow leaf, and that which should accompany old age as honor, love, Obedience, troops of friends, I must not look to have. But in their stead, curses. Not loud, but deep. Mouth honor, breath, which the poor-hearted would fain deny and dare not. Satan! What's your gracious pleasure? What news more? All is confirmed, my lord, which was reported. I'll fight. Till from my bones my flesh be hacked. Give me my armor. Tis not needed yet. I'll put it on. Send out more horses. Scur the country round. Hang those that talk of fear. Give me mine armor. How does your patient, doctor? Not so sick, my lord, as she is troubled with thick-coming fancies that keep her from her rest. Cure her of that. Canst thou not minister to a mind disease, plucked from the memory a rooted sorrow, raise out the written troubles of the brain, and with some sweet oblivious antidote cleanse the stuffed bosom of that perilous stuff which weighs upon the heart? Therein the patient must minister to himself. Throw physic to the dogs on none of it. Come, 
Put my armor on. Give me my staff. Satan, send out. Doctor, the thanes fly from me. Come, sir, dispatch. If thou couldst, doctor, cast the water of my lance, find her disease, and purge it to a sound and pristine health, I would applaud thee to the very echo that should applaud again. Pull it off, I say. I will not be afraid of death and bane till burning forests come to Dunsinane. Were I from Dunsinane away and clear, profit again should hardly draw me here. Under the colors of England march Malcolm, Macduff, Seward, and his sons. They meet the deserting Scottish forces at Burnham Wood. Cousins, I hope the days are near at hand that chambers will be safe. We doubted nothing. What wood is this before us? The wood of Burnham. Let every soldier hew him down a bough and bear it before him. Thereby shall we shadow the numbers of our host and make discovery air in report of us. It shall be done. We learn no other but the confident tyrant keeps still in Dunsinane and will endure our setting down before it. Tis his main hope, for none serve with him but constrained things whose hearts are absent too. Let our just censures attend the true event and put we on industrious soldiership. The time approaches that will with due decision make us know what we shall say we have and what we owe. Thought speculative their unsure hopes relate, but certain issue strokes must arbitrate towards which advance the war. And so the forest begins to move, nature itself revolting against the tyrant's reign. Within the walls of Dunsinane all is confusion. Under his own colors stands Macbeth in his black armor. The sword that once killed traitors on Duncan's behalf clutched in his hand. Hang out our banners on the outward walls. The cry is still, they come. Our castle's strength will laugh a siege to scorn. Here let them lie, till famine and the ague eat them up. Were they not forced with those that should be ours, we might have met them dareful, beard to beard, and beat them backward home. What is that noise? It is the cry of women, my lord. I have almost forgot the taste of fears. The time has been my senses would have cooled to hear a night shriek, and my fell of hair would at a dismal treatise rouse and stir as life were in I have supped with full horrors, direness familiar to my slaughterous thoughts, cannot once start me. Wherefore was that cry? The queen, my lord, is dead. She should have died hereafter. There would have been a time for such a word. Tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow creeps in this petty pace from day to day to the last syllable of recorded time, and all our yesterdays have lighted fools the way to dusty death. Out, out, brief candle. Life's but a walking shadow, a poor player that struts and frets his hour upon the stage and then is heard no more. It is a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury signifying nothing. Thou comes to use thy tongue, the story quickly. The gracious, my lord, I should report that which I say I saw but know not how to do it. Well, say, sir. As I did stand my watch upon the hill, I looked toward Burnham, 
and anon we thought the wood began to move. If thou speaks false, upon the next tree shall thou hang alive till famine cling thee. If thy speech be sooth, I care not if thou dost for me as much. I pull in resolution and begin to doubt the equivocation of the fiend that lies like truth. Fear not till burning wood hath come to Dunsinane. And now a wood comes towards Dunsinane. Arm, arm and out. If this which he avouches does appear, there is no flying hence, no tearing here. I gin to be weary of the sun and wish the estate of the world were now undone. Ring the alarm bell. Blow, wind, come, rack. At least we'll die with harness at our back. Screened by the wood of Burnham, Malcolm and his forces now stand before Dunsinane. Now near enough, your levy screens throw down and show like those you are. You, worthy uncle, shall with my cousin, your right noble son, lead our first battle. Worthy Macduff and we shall take upon what else remains to do, according to our order. Fare you well. Do we but find the tyrant's power tonight? Let us be beaten if we cannot fight. Make all our trumpets speak. Give them all breath, those clamorous harbingers of blood and death. Each man moves to meet the foe, all secretly hoping that they may be the one to pluck the crown from the tyrant's body. Macbeth himself enters the field, and men's legs turn to jelly before him, as he, roaring, stands his ground and builds himself a bulwark from the bodies of his foes. They have tied me to a stake I cannot fly, but bear-like I must fight the course. What's he that was not born of woman? Such a one am I to fear or none? And her young sewer, a lad with no beard on his cheek, but with courage filling his heart. Exhausted and battered, a smear of blood crusting on his face, his sword grows ever heavier as it stabs and pierces the hearts of his foes. He stumbles past his latest victory to see the enraged bear-like king. The sight which has sent others flying pours steel down young Seward's spine, and he raises his sword for action. What is thy name? Thou'lt be afraid to hear it. No, though thou callst thyself a hotter name than any is in hell. My name's Macbeth. The devil himself could not pronounce a title more hateful to mine ear. No, nor more fearful. Thou liest, abhorred tyrant. With my sword I'll prove the lie thou speak'st. As brave as he is, young Seward is no match for the warrior king. Though valiantly he fights, in moments Macbeth's daggers thrust up into his belly, and with a deep gurgle his blood and his life or onto the cobblestones. Thou was born of woman, but swords I smile at, weapons laugh to scorn, brandished by man that's of a woman born. That way the noises. Tyrant, show thy face. Thou beest slain with no stroke of mine. My wife and children's ghosts will haunt me still. Cannot strike at wretched kerns whose arms are hired to bear their staves. Either thou, Macbeth, or else my sword with an unbattered edge I sheathe again undeed. There thou shouldst be by this great clatter, when the greatest note seems bruited. Let me find him fortune, and more I beg not. 
This way, my lord, the castle's gently rendered. The tyrant's people on both sides do fight. The noble thanes do bravely in the war. Day almost itself professes yours, and little is to do. We have met with foes that strike beside us. Enter, sir, the castle. Why should I play the Roman fool and die on mine own sword? Whilst I see lives, the gashes do better upon them. Turn, hellhound. Turn. Of all men else, I have avoided thee. But get thee back. My soul is too much charged with the blood of thine already. I have no words. My voice is in my sword. Thou bloodier villain than terms can give thee out. Thou losest labor. As easy mayst thou the entrenchant air with thy keen sword oppress as make me bleed. Let fall thy blade on vulnerable crests. I bear a charmed life, which must not yield to one of woman born. Despair thy charm, and let the angel whom thou still hast served tell thee. Macduff was from his mother's womb untimely ripped. Accursed be the tongue that tells me so, for it hath cowed my better part of man. And be these juggling fiends no more believed that palter with us in a double sense, that keep the word of promise to our ear and break it to our hope. I'll not fight with thee. <laughs> then yield thee, coward, and live to be the show and gauge the time. I will not yield to kiss the ground before young Malcolm's feet, though Burnham would be come to Dunsinane, and thou opposed being of no woman born, Yet, I will try the last. Before my body I throw my warlike shield, lay on Macduff, and damned be him that first cries, hold enough. With all the power of revenge, Macduff raises his terrible sword and in an instant removes the king's crown and the tyrant is no more. Elsewhere, the English forces regroup. I would the friends we miss were safe arrived. Some must go off, and yet by these I see, so great a day as this is cheaply bought. Macduff is missing, and your noble son. Your son, my lord, has paid a soldier's debt. He only lived but till he was a man, but like a man he died. Then he is dead? Aye, and brought off the field. Your cause of sorrow must not be measured by his worth, for then it hath no end. Had he his hurts before? I on the front. Why then, God's soldier be he. Had I as many sons as I have hairs, I would not wish them to a fairer death. And so his knell is knolled. He's worth more sorrow, and that I'll spend for him. He's worth no more. They say he parted well and paid his score, and so God be with him. Here comes newer comfort. Hail, king, for so thou art. Behold where stands the usurper's cursed head. The time is free. I see thee compassed with thy kingdom's pearl that speak my salutation in their minds, whose voices I desire aloud with mine. Hail, King of Scotland! We shall not spend a large expense of time before we reckon your several loves and make us even with you. My thanes and kinsmen, henceforth be earls, the first that ever Scotland in such an honor named. What's more to do, which would be planted newly with the time, as calling home our exiled friends abroad that fled the snares of watchful tyranny. 
producing forth the cruel ministers of this dead butcher and his fiend-like queen, who, as tis thought, by self and violent hands took off her life. This and what needful else that calls upon us, by the grace of grace, we will perform in measure, time, and place. So thanks to all at once, and to each one, whom we invite to see us crowned at Schoon. Arden Radio Theater's Macbeth was directed by Stephen Spalberg and narrated by Diana Purblind. The acting company includes Benedict Mott, Agatha Belmont, Mason Birch, Mead Gander, Jasper Kane, Celia Tittle, Mariah Smythe, Madeline Waddle, Claude Prakowski, Angus Mobile, Pete Neptune, Simon Tittle, and Dob Birch. Arden Radio Theater is broadcast on 98.5 KMEW, The Cat. Serving the towns of Elsa, Noor, Padua, Verona, Milford Haven, and the unincorporated area of Rome, and is supported by the generosity of listeners like you. Damn. Word. Just a reminder, there is no line of the week this week, but Filario's Pizza Pie will be hosting the cast party immediately following the show, so come on by, buy yourself a pie, and say hello to the cast and crew. For now, please welcome to the mic current King of Scotland, Jasper Kane. Hello. It's always a pleasure to have Jasper in the studio. Jasper, you're one of Dobbs' oldest friends, part of the Milford High alumni set with Benedict and Claude. Now, what's your review of Dobbs' acting debut? Oh, I, I think he did really well. And it was great to, to, to work with him after being in so many of these. I, I get to work with Ben pretty often and, and Claude seemingly all the time. So, so it was great. Yeah, but I mean, Ben and Claude are really great. That's why, you know, not only um, do they show up in many of the shows but you know why in the last three shows it's been it's been two claude perkowski leads and a, and now a benedict mott like they're they're far better performers than i am well you know sometimes it's uh nice to see a new face and especially with you there i i i thought you matched them perfectly i mean i know it feels that way in the rehearsal room but you know, when you really think about the audience experience, they're hearing my voice every week, whether I'm in the show or not. They really don't need more Dob Birch. Uh, I'm, I'm sure they appreciate hearing it in a new context. I agree. I think Dob was great. I, I think he should audition again. Don't you think he should audition again? Yeah, absolutely. Dob, are you not auditioning again? I didn't audition this time. No, I don't think so. Whatever show happens... Again, I don't think there's going to be a role in it for me. I'm no Jasper Kane. There's always a Jasper Kane role in these. Oh, I, I don't know about that. There's always room for Daub as, as well. Absolutely. I think the next director would be thrilled to cast you. Uh, hey, if, if you still wanted to start out small, the King of France and Lear, that would be a pretty good fit. Right, Waddle? Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't want to speculate specifics, 
but I 100% agree there is a part for Dob in the next show. I think my lack of talent combined with my need to have some level of control just means that there's not really a great part for me. But let's get back to you, Jasper. The show's ended and we've seen Malcolm crowned King of Scotland. Do you think he's going to be a good king? Oh, you know, that uh, that's something we talked about a lot in rehearsals. Uh, if Malcolm is a better king than Macbeth. Sorry, can, can I say can I say Macbeth? Yes. Out of courtesy to our guests, we're not enforcing a rule anymore. Yes. Uh, great. Uh, so, so is Malcolm a better king than Macbeth? And sure, he he has better intentions, but but that's what the play is about, isn't it? It it doesn't matter what your intentions are. Sometimes power just corrupts you completely. Uh, but but to answer your question, yes, I I think Malcolm will be a good king. Yeah. But. Wasn't it Malcolm's responsibility to stay behind after his father was killed? Oh, no. It, if he had done that, he'd have been killed too, I think. And maybe maybe this is just because I'm, I'm still in the headspace of Malcolm. Uh, still going to bat for him, you might say. Uh, but I think he did the right thing in running when he did. It, it was better for him to survive and then come back to defeat Macbeth. Otherwise, Macbeth would still have done what he did. There, there would have been no end to it. It's um, an interesting take, and I feel like it pokes some holes in Dobbs' favorite theory about personal responsibility. Um, because if I'm hearing you correctly, Malcolm fulfills his responsibility by not taking action, at least at first. Yes, yes, at and maybe that's what would make him a, a good king, that he has the foresight to think in the, the, the long term rather than the, the short term. You have a rebuttal to that, Dob? You know what? We're at the end of the road. Jasper's my best friend. I'm going to let it rest. Fair enough. Now, Jasper, in real life, would you even want to be a king? It seems like a lot of work and responsibility to me. Me? Would I? Would I want to be king? No, 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 no. I'm, I, I'm perfectly happy doing what I'm doing. Uh, you know, limited responsibilities, just going with the flow, not worrying about having to make changes. Uh, absolutely not. No, no, thank you. I think that's what would make you a good king, but I wouldn't wish that on you. Heavy is the head that wears the crown and all that. Yeah, and my head is heavy enough already. So, would you say that it's potentially possible then that Malcolm also might have been happier if he hadn't had to be king. Oh, but I mean, yeah, definitely. That's why I think, well, but I mean, I, I don't want to be a king, so I don't know if I can speak to someone who does want to be king or wants any position of power or authority at all. But, you know, I, I feel like there's definitely a certain level of ego required. Hey, hey, we're on the air. Oh, hey, I know. Hey, guys. Hey, guys. Lots and dobbers. Hey, Jess. Hey. Uh, hey, uh, sorry. I know I just got an important announcement here from the ART board. I just want to do that real quick. I'm and, really uh, sorry. We'll no, 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 no. It's, it's okay. I I'm excited to hear about what you'll be directing. Well, that aside, this is really not how it works, Mason. Why are you making announcements on the part of the board? Oh, that's, uh, that's actually part of the announcement. Come on. Have a seat, Dr. I guess we're welcoming to the studio, Mason Birch. 
and Diana Perblind with a special announcement from the Board of Arden Radio Theater. Let's get this over with. Announce what you need to announce. All right, thanks. Uh, first off, I have a response from the board to the anonymous letter from a few weeks ago. That's right oh, here. That's good. That's good. And, and much more important than, than an interview with me. Dear art artists and listeners, we were saddened to hear that some of you felt unsupported by the organization as a whole. Having heard your words, we are committed to making changes. The first of which is to create a new position of artistic liaison. Is a liaison between us, the board, and you, the artists, to keep communication between both parties clear without giving up the board's anonymity. As those of you old enough to remember know, our anonymity and the dissolution of the artistic director position occurred after the Endymion incident of 93, and we are not about to allow a repeat of that. However, it is our hope that our new artistic liaison, Mason Birch, yours truly. You've got to be kidding me. Can help us address your concerns, keep us alerted to situations as they arise, and be the board's boots on the ground. To this end, we are appointing Mason as the director of our 54th production. Much ado about nothing. Wait, wait. You are going to direct. Oh. You. That's right. Oh, I love Much Ado. What a, what a great show. Congratulations. Thank you. It's a big challenge. I'm looking forward to it. I think it's going to be fantastic. But that wasn't even on the list. You have you have no experience. Much Ado is not a beginner's show. I don't know that you'd call me a beginner. <laughs> I couldn't be more excited for the new direction ART is about to take. That's that's just really swell. I'm I'm happy for you. Waddle? Are you okay? Oh, Waddle, that means you can't do Lear. But ne next time, though. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Hey, the board really, really loves you, Waddle. Uh, this just wasn't quite the right time for your proposal, but... Waddle, are, are you feeling okay? You're turning purple. I don't understand. The next show was mine, maybe. You said you didn't want it. That's a thing that people do to seem humble. It's like Caesar refusing the imperial crown. People don't actually mean that. Hello there, friend. This is Pete Neptune down at Neptune's Honey inviting you to stop by our tasting room. We've got several honeys, including our new blueberry-infused honey and my favorite four-leaf clover honey. And our first batch of mead has just gone on sale. You can try them all or buy them all at the new Neptune's Honey Tasting Room just a mile down the Appian Way. Come on down and get you some of the sweet stuff. And we're back trying to make sense of the shocking revelations that the art board has confirmed their reptilian vampiric nature and appointed Mason Birch as their representative and director of Much Ado About Nothing. Thank I, you. I think it's all right. I, I'm bummed Waddle Lear isn't happening, but but I don't, I'm, I'm glad that things are changing. Uh, generally, I, I don't like change. I, I, I fear change, but this seems all right. How did you convince anyone to let you be the artistic liaison? You have no art experience. Well, I don't know Both if the I'd acronym go that and any form of art. <laughs> now, come on. Uh, as 
host at KROC 96.9, The Crack, for many years and producer. I certainly have plenty of experience in radio. Speaking of Cracktober, you have art experience. You do not have art experience. (laughs) You have shock jock experience. Artistic liaison aside, why would they let you direct a show? This was your first time acting ever. Well, we all know he's naturally talented in so many different ways. Oh, it just makes sense to put someone at the helm who's a good judge of character. Exactly. It's, it's about different perspective and some clarity. And I, I certainly have had my experience of casting. We all remember the Rock Around the Crock event, Rock Crock and Two Smoking Barrels, Attack the Crock, all of the specials that I've worked on on uh, 96.9. Uh, so I definitely got experience in that area. And I think a little shock from a shock jock, not such a bad thing for this system. We want to be fresh. We want to be real. This is going to be a really good opportunity. Have you even oh, read Much Ado About Nothing? Yeah, it's the it's the one with the, the lovers. They, they fight, they flirt, and they love. It's a tale as old as time. I mean, this is shocking, exactly. Uh, Jasper and Diana, you are both art veterans, uh, even old guards, some might say. Are you both in support of this up- upheaval? Of course. I'm really excited to see where it's going to go. I trust Mason implicitly to make the right decisions for us as a community. Things have been the same for so long. And while it's been great, it's time for a change. Uh, personally, I, I mean, I thought, I thought things were pretty fresh and real already, but uh, I mean, we'll, 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 we'll see how it goes. Uh, Diana, I'm surprised that you especially are so in support of this, considering how much success you've had with art. Is your tune going to change if you are passed over for Beatrice as you were passed over for Lady Macbeth? <laughs> Hold on. First of all, I wasn't passed over. I was chosen to narrate one of the important jobs on the radio. Secondly, of course, I'm going to audition for Beatrice, but... And naturally, I want to say it's a little early to be talking about casting decisions. We have not gotten (laughs) to that step in the process yet. Actually, I was glad for the opportunity to narrate and start looking at things from a new angle, an experience maybe all of us can have as ART makes some changes. It just feels like after Spalberg upended the apple cart with some different casting choices, now we're throwing out the baby with the dishwasher. Oh, hang on there, Dobbers. I wouldn't phrase it like that. We, we had a new director, Steven Spalberg, and he tried out some new things, and I think we've realized that there is value in different approaches. So I think a great way to continue that is to continue to shake things up. Getting back to our actual guest, what are your thoughts on this situation, Jas? Oh, which part? There's so much being said. Let's just focus on the idea of new approaches, shaking things up. Oh, yeah. Well, well, Spalberg stuff was exciting, getting to, to try new ways of working. Sometimes too exciting. I got a rash halfway through the process, but but it's fine. It, it, it cleared up. It's It's fine. It's fine. So with all that being said, uh, Jasper, do you plan to audition for this much ado with its untested director and this new direction? Is there a future for Jasper Kane in this new art that's being created? Uh, yes. Yeah, I, I always audition. Uh, of course. Of co- yeah, of course I'll audition. 
Hey, Wads, if I can jump in here, of course, I want to encourage all art veterans to audition, but newcomers absolutely feel free to audition as well. We want as many perspectives as possible. We want to cast as wide a net as we can to make the best production possible. Exactly. Everybody should audition for sure. Uh, each and every one of you should audition. I mean, there are so many firecracker parts. I mean, Beatrice is just like, oh, wow, the coolest. And I mean, there's Benedict. And there's so many other characters. Really consider it. So we're hearing a lot about this fresh take on art. How is that going to manifest in this production? Should we expect some innovative approaches to Much Ado? Well, I want to say we're not going to invent the wheel here, right? Obviously, I've got a lot of experience in the medium, but we want to reinvest in character. We want to reinvest in story and, of course, the unique challenges of radio as a medium. Oh, that sounds really exciting. Yeah, and so it's, it's a radio show. So, you know, you think, what do we need to make that work? You know, is that more narration for this narrative? Is it more clarity? And that's what we're going to focus on in the production. We've always been a radio theater. How are you, you know, what are you bringing differently to that? Great, great question. We want to embrace that medium. We want to focus on what people are hearing outside of the words. What's that world? What does that sound like? And, and that's what we want to do. I mean, when Dobbs not in the show, we have had more sound effects. Wait, what are you saying? I'm just following up to your point that we've done that already. We do radio shows. Exactly. You do radio shows and I do radio shows and we can do radio shows. We've got to double down on that. It's what we're already doing and let's reinvigorate. Like narration, for instance, uh, Spalberg and Diana. Oh man, you guys gave us a brand new way to think about that this year. Oh, thanks, babe. Mm -hmm. It really was such a thankless role. I mean, because you're not emoting, people think it's easy. And it, it took a really different skill set than I'm used to, stretch different muscles. I was really looking forward to being on the show to talk to you two about it, but I never got invited to interview. Well, you've always refused invitations to be on the show, but since you are the here point now. Is, I'm super excited to really delve into how narration can be an organic part of the storytelling and, you know, make it an asset. Oh, that's a really cool concept. The, uh, the narration could interact with the, with the cast, make it more integrated in the story. Absolutely, that's totally a possibility too. What happens if the narrator is a character, or treated as a character? And of course, Benedict and Beatrice are such great roles that great they roles. demand such great actors that the casting process will have to be more fair and transparent than in the past. Mason, is that a part of your goal? Well, first of all, I want to be clear. I don't have any qualms with past casting, but uh, I would say that Spalberg's choices for Macris drove home how ART usually plays it safe. And that's great, but I think you can expect some surprises as I'm ready to take some chances, push the folks out of their comfort zone, see what comes out of that energy. I, I begrudgingly admit that a lot of that does sound appealing. I guess the proof will be in the pudding. Um, but I guess I'm becoming hesitantly optimistic about this. Well, all right. This is a lot to take in and we don't have time to address it all. So we'll have to see how it goes in the next season. Until then, there's nothing left to do except ask the Shakespeare question. Waddle?
All right, tonight's question comes from Richard III. Knowest thou not any whom corrupting gold will tempt unto a close exploit of death? Knowest thou not any whom corrupting gold will tempt unto a close exploit of death? You know, that is such a beautiful question. I think I might need a minute to think about it, actually. Well, why don't you take that moment while we hear from our actual guest? Uh, what's your answer to that, Jasper? Uh, no, I think everyone's susceptible. Mason, do you want to weigh in? Absolutely. Thank you. It's a beautiful question. Again, Waddle Dobble, so glad, glad to be on this cast. This has been amazing. Uh, as for the question, you know, I think there's a lot of truth in that, right? Absolute power corrupting, absolutely. But it's a game, right? This whole crazy thing we got thrown into called life, it's a game. And, you know, winners and losers, you got to learn to play it. And so I think, yeah, no, I don't, I don't know that there's much of anybody that can't be swayed by it. We want to be our best selves about it and, and try to take a, a perspective on a higher plane when we can. But, you know, when it comes down to it, we ain't nothing but mammals. Disgusting. Mason. Thanks. Diana, please give us a palate cleanser for that. Oh, I mean, I think everything he said was absolutely right. We'll probably have a conversation about this driving home. Yes, presumably you do both agree about being nothing but mammals. That's it for now, folks. We'll be back in two months with Much Ado About Nothing, directed by Mason Birch. May God have mercy on our souls. Until Looking then, to all we have to say is the show is our show. And these dogs are my dogs. Ruff, ruff. Ruff, ruff. We're Waddle. And Dob. And this has been The Horned Moon Presents. If this podcast has offended, think that this and all is mended. That this a work of fiction is nothing real but for coincidence. The Horned Moon Presents was written by Merlin Cusell and produced by me, Marshall B. Garrett. Our cast includes Mike Lake as Macbeth and Benedict Mott, Aubrey Whitlock as Lady Macbeth and Agatha Valmont, Katie Wells as the narrator and Diana Purblind, Russell Matthews as McDuff and Mason Birch, Charlie Johnson as Malcolm and Jasper Kane, M. Finch as Mead Gander and Banquo, Tess Garrett as Witch One and Celia Tittle, Merlin as Witch Two and Madeline Waddle, Alexis Savan as Witch Three and Mariah Smythe, Zach Brewstergeist as Duncan and Mr. Simon Tittle, Nick Christensen as Ross and Claude Perkowski, Dave DeChristopher as Lennox and Angus Mobile, John O'Island as Angus and Pete Neptune, and I played Satan and Dob Birch. Our music is written by Andrew Dickinson and mixed by Eric Bostick. Macbeth was directed by me with narration by Merlin. Now that our first season is over, we're taking a couple months to put together next season, and we'll be back with you in January with Much Ado About Nothing. It's a great time in our interim to introduce the show to family, friends, neighbors. Keep your feed refreshing for a few little extras in the meantime, and we'll see you soon. So like, subscribe if we be friends. And Mason may restore amends. <laughs>